All right. Well, guess where I'm going to start my message today? Baby pictures. Don't you think that would be appropriate for a new daddy his first Sunday back to start with baby pictures? So here is little Madeline Grace. Go ahead and put that up if you would. She looks a lot. Oh, there we go. There she is. Isn't she yummy? She's so yummy. So she is doing, doing great. We had a little jaundice early on, but uh, she and mommy are doing wonderful. Uh, just a word on her name, why we named her Madeline Grace, besides we thought it was cute sounding. Uh, Madeline is uh, the form of Magdalene. That's where that name comes from. And Mary Magdalene, obviously, very devoted follower of Jesus. You might want to take that picture down because they won't listen. Uh, But very devoted follower of Jesus. And so our number one heart's desire is that she would be a very devoted follower of Jesus. And the other reason, this is a little bit uh, asymmetrical, but we... uh, we, I love C.S. Lewis, as many of you know, and most of his career, C.S. Lewis taught at, it looks like Magdalene College, Oxford. It's actually, they pronounce it Magdalene College, but it was on the grounds of, of, of Magdalene College that uh, he had his famous walk with uh, J.R. Tolkien and led to his conversion and all the things that flowed from it. So anyway, symmetrically, for Mary Magdalene, asymmetrically for C.S. Lewis, and it sounded cute. What more do you need in a name, right? And so uh, we're just really enjoying her and in that transition time now of trying to figure out life with two two daughters and uh, sleep deprivation, etc., etc. So these are one, I love these sermons when I'm either really sick and on drugs or just had a baby because I am not accountable for anything I say. They're all like, oh, he's, he's a new daddy. It, he misspoke. It's fine. So I got this great excuse. So I'm flying free and clear today. Um, and I am excited today for what we're talking about. And, you know, sometimes the providence of God works so great with the calendar of the church. And we have that going on here because we've been doing this series in First Peter and we've come to chapter 3, verse 21, two weeks prior to our big Lake Michigan baptisms. And I want to talk today about baptism. This whole message is going to be about baptism. We're going to begin with what Peter writes in 1 Peter, but then I want to pull back and just talk about it more sort of broadly and answer some common questions that people have. And basically, here's my goal today. There are some people who have baptism too high. It's too high. It's right there as a part of what actually saves them. And for those people, I want to bring baptism down a little bit in its importance. Then you have all kinds of people for whom baptism is not nearly as important as it ought to be. And for those people, I want to bring it up. Okay, so the message today is baptism for some of you, down. For baptism for many of you, up. We'll see how it goes today. Why don't we ask God to bless it, if you would join me. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would be people that tremble at it. God, I pray that we would not stand in judgment over your word, but rather that we would allow your word to stand in judgment over us and that it would shape and guide our thinking and directions and just the whole ethos of our church 
Come, Holy Spirit, we pray through your word. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our text today, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're just doing verses 21 and 22, really focusing on 21. Here's what Peter writes. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now that could be confusing, isn't it? If I just stopped right there. But we're going to keep going. Notice, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right, so Peter now, kind of almost sort of out of the blue, introduces baptism into his letter. But we see that he has been aiming at this from the prior verses. Now, the prior verses are some of the most difficult in the whole New Testament uh, to interpret. In fact, Pastor Brad, who uh, was assigned the text in my absence, said to me, thanks a lot, you gave me the hardest passage in the whole text. So that's what associate pastors are for. So while it's one of the hardest to understand, what Peter is getting at here is not hard. Everybody here can get this. Because what he is saying here, well, actually, let's go back. Notice that he refers to Noah and the flood and the fact that Noah was in an ark and that the ark saved him. Most of us are probably familiar with the story of the flood and how all of that took place. Noah and his family survived. How did they survive? They built an ark by God's direction. And that ark saved them in the midst of the flood. So we can say, well, Peter, now why are you bringing up in this like flood and Noah and Ark and all of that seems sort of out of place? Well, he does this because he's not really wanting to talk about Ark and Noah and flood. He's wanting to talk about baptism. And he says that baptism corresponds to Noah, the Ark and the flood. Now, the Bible students here, maybe you're picking up right away on something that is known as typology or something that is a type is referring to something that in the Old Testament has its corresponding analogous truth in the New Testament. So that we look at the tabernacle and we see that that was a picture of something that Jesus brought full meaning to. Or the Ark of the Covenant or the Day of Atonement and many other things that were shadows in the Old Testament foreshadowing something in the New Testament. You can read the book of Hebrews, which is all about these shadows and fulfillment in in Jesus. Peter brings up a shadow in the Old Testament that corresponds to its fulfillment in the New Testament, and Peter says that that analogy here is to baptism, that Noah and the ark foreshadowed new covenant baptism. Now, just to make this a little bit clear, because if let's just say that you're sort of new to Christianity, here you are in the service, love the fact that you're here. So maybe you're not familiar with the concept of baptism, but just very quickly, baptism goes right back to Jesus himself, who himself was baptized by John the Baptist. And if you read through the Gospels, there was a revival that took place uh, prior to Jesus' public ministry under John the Baptist, and people were going out in 
by the thousands to hear the message of John. And John would baptize them. The Bible says it was a baptism of repentance. It was people that were realizing, you know what? I have sinned. I, I'm coming and I'm repenting before God. And John said, why don't you be baptized here as a symbol, a picture of your repentance? Jesus goes to John the Baptist while he's baptizing and is baptized by John. Now, why is that kind of like, well, why would Jesus do that? Because if John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, Jesus had never sinned. So what is he doing in the waters of the Jordan getting baptized when he has nothing to repent of? And we come to find that Jesus went to be baptized with sinners, not because he was a sinner, but to identify with sinners. And we learn from that that baptism is about identification. It is me connecting myself to something else. Jesus connected himself to us by being baptized by John. And then after his resurrection, he recommissions baptism's role in the church and in the new covenant with these now very famous words. He says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay. How do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. So you notice in that text, That Jesus says that we are to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that part be important? Because baptism is about identification. And when I am baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, I am identifying myself with them. And so we see then, beautifully, that Jesus' baptism was to identify with us, and our baptism is to identify with Him and His saving work, and the Father and the Spirit in their role as well. There was confusion about the role of baptism in salvation. From the beginning, we find baptism being a really important aspect of what it meant to become a Christian. We find in Acts 2, 37 and 38, this is the very first sermon that's preached after the Spirit comes at Pentecost and Peter preaches the very first sermon. Notice what happens. Now they, when they heard this, this is the crowds, the thousands of people, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, the very first sermon that talked about faith in Jesus, there is the connecting of that faith with this practice of baptism. This isn't something that came along a couple hundred years later because somebody thought it was a good idea. It was commissioned by Jesus. It was practiced by the apostles from the beginning. Now, I hope that maybe you see in here how there is a little bit of a delicate balance that we have to have as we look at this. And this goes back to my too high, too low thing at the beginning. Because you could look at baptism and see it too high and say, wow, it's so important that unless you're baptized, you're not saved. But wait a second, if I say that, I am compromising a more fundamental truth, which is that salvation is not by works, it is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. 
And so you see then how if I have too high of a view of baptism, I can actually be confusing or compromising the actual gospel. And over time, people could think that maybe the symbol saves me. So therefore, I'm, I got to be baptized to be saved or baptism is salvation. Not only is that too high, that is too heretical. It is Jesus that saves. It's not water. It is Christ that saves. And our faith is the means to that salvation. Or maybe to, to say about Noah, what saved Noah? It was the water. The water didn't save Noah. The water represented judgment. Well, it was his ticket showing that he was on ark cruises that saved him. Like the baptism certificate. I'm saved. I got a certificate of baptism. That certificate doesn't save you. What saved Noah? The ark saved Noah. The ark got him through the waters. And Peter, there's the analogy. Peter says, what is it that actually saves us? It is not baptism itself. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Jesus is the ark. Baptism is not the ark. Jesus is the ark. And so that's the analogy that he has here. Again, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And you see Peter there addressing one of the big problems that we have throughout the world right now when it comes to baptism, which when he says, it is not, it's not the water and the external removal of dirt, the effect of water that saves you. It is the internal and that appeal on the inside in my baptism that God, from this day forward, I am yours. I want to please you. I want to serve you. That's what makes baptism, baptism. Otherwise, you're just getting wet. And there are a lot of people that are baptized and all it is is them getting wet. It's just dirt coming off their body on the outside. One commentator, I like this, he said this, Still today, of course, people think that outward acts like coming to church and receiving communion somehow make them acceptable to God, even if their hearts are guilty of evil. It is curious how people who rarely attend church still want church weddings and Christian funerals. Peter's attitude rejects all such ideas in principle. And how true that is. There are so many people, I want to be baptized, or I want to... I, we just had the Lord's Supper. Was there anybody here who thought to themselves, I'm right with God because I'm, have, I'm drinking the cup and I'm having this little piece of bread? Or they don't care about church, but I got to have a Christian wedding. Or when I die, you better get a preacher there because I want a Christian funeral. And you see how that external, internal thing that Peter is talking about here is... Not the gospel. It is not genuine Christianity, which is inside first, then outside. So to be clear, there is no teaching in the Bible that says that baptism saves us. It doesn't teach that. I don't want anybody here thinking baptism saves us. That is having it way too high, way too high. The consistent call is to faith in Jesus and baptism as the first act of obedience. 
an initiation into the Christian life. It is obedience to the words of Jesus in the Great Commission that we be baptized. Basically, what he says there is that the church is to be baptizing and Christians are to be baptized. That's the Great Commission in a nutshell. So why make this point here? Here's why. I don't want anybody here stepping into heaven thinking, I am good with God because I was baptized. You just got wet, if that's your perspective. And that will not gain entrance into heaven. It will not gain eternal life. How many people there will be in hell who were baptized in good churches if they were trusting in their baptism for their salvation? So can I ask you, dear friend, today, what is your faith resting in? If somebody was to say, are you a Christian? How do you know? Would baptism somehow be an evidence that I must be a Christian because I have been baptized? That is baptism far too important. Now, my main concern today is not those people. My main concern are people that have baptism far too low in their value set. There are so many people that see baptism along with the church or the Lord's Supper, some of these other things, as being so secondary as to be unimportant. Hey, we're not saved by baptism anyway, so therefore, who gives a rip about it? I don't care if I'm baptized or not. And yet we look at the testimony of Scripture and we find again and again and again and again it is somebody's profession of faith in Jesus and then a fairly immediate baptism as a public profession of this internal change. Listen to just some examples from Acts. Here's Acts 2.38. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. Acts 8.12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 8.36, and as they were going along the road, this is Peter in the, in the Ethiopian eunuch, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? Acts 9.18, the Apostle Paul. Here's his story. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Acts 10.48 And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 18.8 Crispus believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Acts 19.5, on hearing this, the gospel, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now let's go back just for a moment to the Great Commission. I read it earlier. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you look at that verse, the key verb in there is that we are to make disciples. Okay, what is the church to be about? Making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the rest of the verse explains the priorities in doing that. And two verbs are primary. Number one, baptize. Number two, teach them. Now you could say, well, 
if it was so important, why would Peter, right here in chapter 3, all of a sudden go, let's talk about baptism. Noah, ark, baptism, correspondings, typology. Why bring this into his letter? Well, because there was the need for teaching about it. Just like today, this morning in this service, there is the need for teaching on on baptism. I do believe, though, that Peter, one reason that Peter doesn't stop and say, okay, everybody, just so you know, I, for those of you that have been saved for a long time and haven't been baptized, I need to address this. He doesn't do that for two reasons, I think. Number one, Most of the people that find themselves having professed Jesus and not be baptized tend to be second and third generation Christians, which in the first century church, you didn't have very many of those. They were mostly first generation Christians. But today, now we have second, third, fifth, tenth generation Christians. And over time, you have this sort of separating of professing Jesus as Savior and being baptized. I'm going to profess Jesus and then maybe someday I'll get around to it. But it's not really that important. Apparently it was in the New Testament church and apparently it was to Peter. He's talking about it right here. And I think the second reason that Peter doesn't address this issue specifically is that the New Testament couldn't conceive of Christians who refused to be baptized. Like it wasn't even a problem or a thought. Why waste ink on that issue? There isn't such a thing. And yet I find today that there is such a thing, and there are many people in this category. In fact, uh, John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur said this, there is presently probably the largest unbaptized population of professing Christians in the history of the church. And for most of them, it really isn't something they are too concerned about. And he goes on, this is a sermon he gave that I listened to and and was uh, very helpful. He goes on to give five very frank reasons why you have people that are professing Jesus and not being baptized. He said, number one, ignorance. They have not been taught about baptism or its importance. Number two, pride. They are refusing to be humbly obedient to the Lord Jesus in this. Third, indifference. They're not considering obedience that important. Number four, defiance. They are unwilling to obey the Lord Jesus. Or fifth, they are unregenerate. And that refusal to honor Christ in baptism flows out of a heart that hasn't truly been saved and changed. And I would say all of these reasons that he lists all flow from a perspective on baptism that has it far too low. So low as to be insignificant, unimportant. I'll get to it someday. I don't care about that. I don't want to be in front of people and get wet. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm not really hiding my point here very much, am I? Are you getting what I'm saying? Here's what I want. I think what I want, what I'm saying flows out of the concern of the New Testament. That we would be people that believe in Jesus as our Savior and are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Simply that. That's what a church is. That's what a Christian is. We are a baptized, believing group of followers of Jesus. Following the example of the New Testament. So can I ask you today, are you a professing Christian? Is Jesus your Savior? If the answer to that is yes, can I just ask you, 
Have you been baptized? And if not, why not? Again, well, Steve, what do you want? I want everybody here professing the Lord Jesus as their Savior and everyone baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Simply that. Now, that's a very simple statement. There is complexities to this, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of these things with some pastoral thoughts about baptism that uh, I'm not going to address everything in, in our time here, but just some things that I think might be helpful. And I, I, first of all, want to answer the question, so what is baptism exactly? What is baptism exactly? We practice, we believe what is known as believer's baptism, or some people call it credo baptism. And basically that means that baptism follows a profession of faith in Jesus. Not before, but after. The mode that we practice is immersion in water. And there are, here's where you have some debates on this, and there are honestly some very well-intentioned, clear-thinking theologians that take different perspectives on that. But our, our practice here is baptism by immersion in water. And the reason that we do that is that the word baptize means literally in the Greek to dip. It means to go under. And we see in the example of the New Testament that it was bodies of water. John was in the Jordan River, and even the Ethiopian eunuch doesn't say, here, I have a glass of water. He says, here is a body of water, and they went down into the water, and then they came up. And even, even Peter here, I think, hints at an immersion-type baptism where he says, baptism can only, for some of you, if you don't know what it means, it's just the removal of dirt from your body, which insinuates, I think, even in there, Baptism by immersion. Uh, the big thing in baptism, though, is identification. Okay, Identification. Identifying with the saving work of Jesus. And you see that in baptism. Uh, again, it's, it's so simple. Like the Lord's Supper, where you look at the cup and the bread, and you're like, really? All of that truth symbolized in this little thing. It seems the bread and the cup don't seem worthy of the immense truth that it's representing, right? Baptism, similarly, if we, if we look at it simplistically, can be like, really? That is like symbolizing that much truth? But this is the, this is the teaching of the New Testament. That in that baptism, there is a symbolic representation of the death, the burial, and going under the water, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is new life for us as Christians, resurrected with Him in coming out of the water. Every one of those baptisms, reminding, preaching in a way, the truth about the essence of the gospel. And if you're wondering, what is the like, okay, doctrinal thing behind that? Here's what the theologians call it. It is union with Christ. It is union with Christ. That by faith, I am connecting, I'm not only identifying with Jesus by saying I'm his follower, but actually, in the eyes of God, I am in union with Jesus. And when he died, he not only died for me, I died with him. And when he was resurrected from the dead, he not only came back to life, but I was resurrected with him. And there is a spiritual 
real connection that the Christian has with those saving works of Jesus. It is union with Christ. Now, I want to illustrate it this way. This is at some risk because every time I try to do this, I have to refigure it out, which is not easy. But uh, yes, we had a daughter. And that means that uh, we are back to what is known as Bjorning. This is a Bjorn. Before I had kids, I had no idea about any of this stuff, all right? So this was totally foreign to me. And if you had kids like maybe 15 years ago, the Stone Age, you uh, don't know what this is either. Um, this is known as a, as a Bjorn. And the way this works, if you've, maybe you've seen people at the mall or something like this, I'm actually going to try to put it on here if I can figure it out. I practiced this last night with Jennifer because it's a little complicated. But um, I think it goes like this. So anyway, you go, it goes around you like this. And let's see here. Give me a moment. All right. There we go. Nice, huh? And look at the, the little baby. It, she just sits so cute right in there, all snugly, you know. And the beauty of this is that it allows a parent to like conduct normal life while the child is with them. So you can go shopping. Uh, you can't drive, but you can, you know, go to the ball game. You can go around town. You can kind of get around because... The child is just like right there. You're not holding her, uh, pushing her. She's just like right there. So wherever the mommy goes, that's where the baby goes with using the, the Bjorn. Okay. Now, I do this because I want you to get what baptism is about. It is a symbol of the Christian's union with Jesus. That we were beyond with Him. When He died, we died with Him. When He was buried, we were buried with Him. When He was resurrected, we were resurrected with Him. And all of that, spiritually, is celebrated in baptism by the believer saying that I am connected to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And to publicly say, I'm in the Bjorn with Jesus. My hope is totally with Him. And I publicly want to say that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what baptism is. And that's why it's so important. That's why the New Testament church practiced it as they did. And that's why the classic definition of baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change. That's not working. <laughs> you never do that when the child is in it. <clears throat> okay, I want to spend a little bit of time on another thorny issue. And that is, what about young children? I was at a graduation open house yesterday and a father of some young children said, can I just ask you a question? Like, I don't even know if he knew I was preaching on baptism, but he said, I just, I need some help with how to handle children who are 
in the process of appropriating their faith or confessing it, there's some confusion. How do you do? What, what should you do? And I just think, first of all, we need to say this is a difficult thing. And it has been for years in uh, the church. Very difficult challenge. And part of the reason for why it's a challenge is that it is difficult in the development of a child to discern when there is an outward change that is representing the inward belief. Children are in the process of growing and maturing and there's ups and downs. and So it's a difficult thing. Further, the testimony of many second and third generation Christians, myself included, this is me, is that when all of your sort of significant redemptive obedience moments are at an age where you are too young to remember it. It actually serves to undermine your assurance of salvation as you get older. And that's why so, one reason so many second, third generation Christians struggle with assurance of salvation. They don't remember when they first believed and they don't remember their baptism. And they wonder, man, is the whole thing real in my life? So for this reason, there are many fine denominations and pastors and radio Bible preaching book writing pastors that you listen to and read that have the rule in their churches that nobody can be baptized before the age of sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 12. They just sort of settle it that way. They just kind of make a rule like that. We have not made a rule like that. Uh, but we do have strong recommendations. And uh, like my church growing up did have a rule. You couldn't get baptized before you were 12. So guess what happened when I was 12? I got baptized. And to this day, I can remember my baptism. Now, it's still a little bit murky in my mind, but I remember it. And I'm glad that I can remember it. I'm glad that my parents waited for me in that. You know, sometimes I think parents betray a wrong theology when they are in a hurry to baptize their kids. They're having it too high. They're concerned that if they're not baptized, well, then maybe they're not going to go to heaven after all. And so they are in a rush to get their kids baptized. I think often with kids, it is difficult when our kids can say the right words because kids are really good at saying the right words. My daughter is two. She can quote most of the Frozen soundtrack, right? So kids are really good at parroting back things that you encourage them to say or you give them affirmation on, right? So a child that says something about Jesus, Son of God, prays some prayer, they get tons of affirmation on that. They can repeat that. And so as a parent, it could be easy to be like, you know, yay, but how do we know... How do we know if somebody is a Christian, adult or children? There is the root of faith and there is the fruit of change in their life. It applies to adults, but it also applies to children. And so the goal here is for a credible and mature profession of faith along with consistent evidence of life change, of Christian heart change. Many of you know my own story. I grew up in the church and I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus as my Savior over and over and over again. I'm not sure which one of those was kind of when I actually began my Christian journey. To this day, I don't really know. There's one when I was six that I kind of say, okay, I think that's kind of when my journey began. 
But it's hard to know with children. It's difficult. And so I would encourage parents to be patient with that. And to encourage it, to talk about it, to talk it up, but not to be in a hurry. Your kids someday may thank you for it, much like I am thankful for it in my own life. I also want to say the church has a role in this. And please do not be offended if the church encourages you to be patient. Now you say, why, why, why would we encourage you to be patient? Here's why. It's one thing to have an actually saved kid who waits to be baptized. Okay, you say, well, that's kind of, I wish it wasn't that way, but it's a little difficult. Okay, here's what we don't want. We don't want unregenerate kids being baptized and then being assured falsely of their salvation years down the road. Better to have a slow-to-be-baptized kid who ends up in heaven than to allow baptism to be a stumbling block that actually leads them to hell. As a parent now, I know which one I would choose between those two. We want to be as careful as we can be. All right, last question. What's it like to be baptized? What's it like to be baptized? We're going to roll just a little video here, and I'm going to talk as we do, that just shows you some of the baptisms from... Uh, our past here, Lake Michigan, and maybe at Cedar Lake. Go ahead and play that if you would, please. But uh, we see baptism as a celebration. We are celebrating the expression of faith. We're celebrating children and adults professing the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've, over the years, baptized people from many, many different backgrounds, many different sort of faith journeys that got them to that moment of, of baptism. And here's where I'm at, okay? I want people to profess Jesus as their Savior and to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you might, maybe you're, you've had it too low and you're like, I think maybe he's talking about me. You know what? In the end, I don't care. I'm not the judge. I'm not here to judge you. I just want to baptize professing believers of Jesus and to have the people of our church step into eternity, not trusting in their baptism, but Trusting in the Lord Jesus and baptism as that first act of obedience, that public profession saying, I am a follower of Jesus. And I want to encourage you not to allow the the, the time that has lapsed between your profession and now to be something that gets in the way. We're not here to judge that, okay? I don't want you to allow, like, getting wet or something like that to be, I don't know if I want to do that. Really? Obedience to Jesus is lower than something like that, something vain like that. Don't allow that to be an issue. I want to say also this. We've had people here who were baptized as children. And this is a whole other subject, and I'm not going to get into it today. And it's a thorny one as well because of uh, there's so many different kinds of infant baptism and what they practice with it and what they mean. But we've had so many people that have been baptized as children who come to our church and then are baptized, uh, like in Lake Michigan, that kind of thing. And the consistent testimony that I get is from them is that it is a meaningful moment in their life, spiritually. And maybe there's some here who would say that. So I just want to ask you, if you've not been baptized, why not? Do you believe Jesus is your Savior?
Have you been bjorned into His death, burial, and resurrection? Why not be baptized? Now, we've never done this before, but here's what we're doing this weekend. We want to make this as absolutely simple as we possibly can. And so what we're going to do is, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a final song. And we have leadership that is going to be lined up in the back of the auditorium. And if you're here and you want to be baptized, you just slip out during this song. And we got men and women, men for men, women for women, who are ready to just say, hey, let's sit down. Let's hear that, let's hear that testimony right now. Let's talk about this. And in two weeks, to be a part of what really is one of our greatest moments as the church is our Lake Michigan baptism. I want to encourage you to do it. There is, you've never been to a church, you've never had a moment in your entire life that is as simple to be baptized as the one you're having right now. This is an opportunity for you to follow the Lord Jesus in obedience and to have this very special and meaningful moment in your life. So why don't we stand, and as we do, I'm going to just make one additional thing clear. Given my point with the children, this is really kind of for teens and adults. If you're a child here and you want to be baptized, we want you to talk to your parents about that first, and then you can contact the church. But let's begin to sing. Let's do it right now. And if you would like to be baptized, if God's speaking to your heart, go ahead, Dustin. Why don't you just slip out? Got pastors and elders in the back, leadership wives in the back. Let's sing.